run. This box isn't just a London off, you know, it goes anywhere in the universe. Is it always this danger? I am a soldier! I am a mummy. Yeah, you've seen how dangerous it is. You wanna go home? Why are we chasing it? It's more than dangerous. About 30 seconds from the centre of London. Where's that mean, mummy? You mustn't let him touch ya. Everybody lives, Rose. Just this once. Everybody lives. Hello, Alan Z, and welcome to the podcast. It's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. It's Who Do You Think You Are? Our Doctor Who retrospective on Best Film Ever. I'm Ethan, and I'm Ian. It's so cool. I, I I know you can't hear the intro, but like the intro is really cool now that I've got it all set up. And I think it's so much fun to listen to. I have to admit, this is the most responsible we've been for anything. Usually, we record stuff on Best Film Ever pretty close for them, with the exception of like maybe a quiz night. We record it pretty close to when it comes out. So to have this like stockpile is is great in the sense that. Um, you know, we've got we've got stuff in case of emergency break glass, but it's rough in the sense that we, like as we sit here, we still have yet yet to release. We're releasing our first episode two days from now, so uh, yeah, I don't really know how it's gonna how it's gonna come out in the wash. I'm gonna say, wow, that sounds really good, Ethan. That was great, and that one bit loved that. It's gonna be just like a really awkward kazoo and a bit of screaming in the background, <laughs> and we'll be none the wiser. Yeah, exactly. But no, I was saying to someone today, I'm like, it's great. I've got like a month and a half worth of content that I can just like work on without having to worry about like being too close to the deadline. It's all very timey-wimey. <laughs> and not at all wibbly-wobbly, I hope. No, 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 wibbly-wobbly just yet. All right. Uh, but no, I'll use that just to go straight into today's episode because we've got we've got a lot to talk about. We've got our first two-parter with the Empty Child and the Doctor Dancers. I think this was our... We had to do this for Eccleston. Well, if you look at the actual like episode title um, on the card for the BBC, the story number, it does come up as 164A and 164B. Now, we could do what they did and split it up between two and put it, uh, you know, a week or in our case, like two weeks apart. But that just seems silly. I, I think we can easily yeah. encapsulate. We can defy the laws of time and space and get it into one episode, I feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We are the Time Lord Victoriouses of the Doctor Who podcasting right now. Yes. Why can we do this? Because we're clever. <laughs> and if you think it's too long, tough. Tough. So, The Empty Child by Stephen Moffat. I believe this is his first episode for New Who. Yeah, it is. I was um, yes. I was really surprised to see his name pop up. And then when I remembered the quality, it's really weird. I'm going to say some positive things about Stephen Moffat. The, you know, I... <laughs> Stephen Moffat's the guy who worked really hard to get the job you wanted, did a pretty good job for a little bit, and then just took on too much and got a little bit petulant where he turned on the thing that he loved. Right now, oh, I think he's just hitting I don't wanna I don't wanna bury the lead, but I think he's uh I think he's firing on all cylinders. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's hitting home runs for like the next couple of years, and yeah. then he has a little stumble in like his his finale. I think he kinda 
redeems himself, but we'll we'll get to that in a I couple actually, months' time. I was actually because I'm trying to catch up because I'm yeah. uh, I'm a bit of a lapsed Hoovian, if you will. Uh, halfway through Capaldi, when when Arya Stark showed up, I went, "This is getting dumb," um, and yeah. I kind of let it let it go. And I'm trying to get back into it now. I'm not trying to. I, I I am back into it. But I was watching. I don't know what episode it was, but it said written by Stephen Moffat, and I went, "Oh." that's interesting i didn't know that he'd he was allowed back within the walls of the forbidden city so to speak so uh <laughs> i i like when it says written by stephen moffat maybe not showrunner stephen moffat but written by stephen moffat i generally have time for it i think he's very good at what he does there oh yeah russell t davies era stephen moffat has probably some of my favorite episodes of it's probably of that run. yeah you want to talk the sweet spot of who for me it probably is russell t davies showrunner stephen moffat writing david tennant as the doctor now we, we got two-thirds yeah. of that here um yeah uh but generally uh well i don't i don't i don't want to give some sort of overall you know more than i already have it's more overall judgment on the episode because we'd be skipping a big bit and that big bit is important which is the actual analysis of the episodes as episodes yeah so we'll go with episodes one of this uh with the empty child and it just opens straight cold open with the with the tardis chasing uh a tube. We don't really know what it is at this point, but the doctor's saying it's emergency color mauve, and mauve is the color of danger uh, in all of space and, and time, and it's only Earth that has uh, red as their danger. And they're going to follow it wherever it goes, because wherever it goes, they go. And it's jumping through time, and it's 30 seconds from the center of London, and that's when we get our title, our big sort of climax of it, and our threat, and we just see... The title's Empty Child, and the TARDIS lands in just a random alley in London where the Doctor begins to sort of lament over cows and milk for a little bit. Yeah, um, the, the, the question with the Doctor, and it's always a difficult thing, it's, I think it's especially difficult in, in, in season one of The Revival. Is that what you call this? Is it The Revival? What should I be calling? The modern era? What, what, what's the term for this, accepted amongst uh, Whovian personnel? It's usually referred to as either like the reboot or new who, where okay. it's like N U H W. Oh, yeah, I, as an English teacher, yeah. I, I refuse to refer to new who like I do new metal. That's not happening. <laughs> so the reboot. Okay. So yeah. uh, the rehoot, if you will. Um, so, okay. Um, the, the, but back to my point. The difficult thing is you go, well, how silly? Because the doctor needs to be different from regular human beings. We so have to have these silly yeah. little moments. But, you know, how many of them are too many? And and, and when is the timing for this? And does it make sense? And I think Eccleston, the writing, which is a shame because it is Moffat. But Moffat, I think, obviously underneath the eye of Russell T. Davies and the overall creation of what this character, especially the Eccleston version of the character. Um, there's times where I'm just like, I get it. He's wacky. I got it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I think it's one of those things, like, because uh, I've also done a little bit of a rewatch recently, and I've definitely seen, because I'm obviously in the canon now, it's just after uh, John Hurt. So I, oh, okay. I, my my little head canon now, like, in the grand scheme, uh, like, like in, in 2021, is like, he's really lost his concept of, like, proper humanity and, like, what makes humans human. Okay. And he's relearning it. But, like, at this point in 2005, where we have no idea about that because that's, you know, like eight years in the future, I think this is just them trying to be a little bit witty and have some whimsy for the Doctor because it's it's not going to get funny very early on. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong there. Yeah. So he's going on about milk and mauve and things like yeah. that. 
going on about milk and uh, at this point we get our first pov of uh, like of an enemy shot just looking kind of fuzzy around the around the edges and uh, we find out at the same time that the doctor and rose have landed a month after this uh, tube thing which uh, whatever they trying to track uh, which is like a current theme with the doctor at this point obviously he's a year late uh, in this time to return Rose home, which is like in the previous episode with the Slavine. Uh, so it's that continuing theme of he's always still not piloting the TARDIS correctly. Yeah. And uh, the doctor says, okay, I'll just ask around if anyone's heard a very loud bang or seen anything crashing to earth. And this is when Rose has this, I'm going to say, completely unnecessary sort of rebellious streak in her where she's not impressed by the doctor anymore and wants more high tech uh, Spock stuff because she's like scan for alien stuff and be all cool when it, it's she, not that she comes off a bit petulant in this episode and especially yeah this, I, I I get we had to separate them this seems yeah. like a because I'm, I'm gonna keep tons of praise on this episode but I'm kind of <laughs> slamming it early this seemed <laughs> like a paper thin reason to split them up yeah yeah and then she keeps saying like that's not very Spock that's not very Spock which of course is a Star Trek reference. Um, yeah. I found it really weird to see the BBC so openly referencing uh, Star Trek. I, I, th- I thought it was really odd. So, um, you know, star- in this universe, Star Trek exists. And is the doctor aware of Star Trek? Is this, we've skipped a couple of I mean, Has there been references? I, I wonder to, to Star Trek throughout this first season. Uh, not that I really remember. Is it supposed to be a um, gateway to Trekkies to go, you can like both? I don't know what we'll do. We'll appeal to Trekkies by making Star Trek references. I have no idea. My my running theory currently when I've been doing some research for this episode is uh, a little later on with the with the uh, nano genes in the second episode, um, they had to rename because they were originally called nanites, which apparently is an actual thing in the next generation. Yeah. And I don't know if that's um, Moffat trying to like make an inside joke to the fact that like he nearly harbored stuff from but Star even, Trek. But even nano genes, because the genes, because who created Star Trek? It's Gene Roddenberry, isn't it? So yeah, yeah thanks for changing it ever so slightly, <laughs> but still somehow making reference to the thing you were afraid of ripping off. Yeah. Um, I love TNG. I love much more than I love original series, but they're making reference to this. And I understand why. And before any Trekkies come at me, look, I know you like to be called Trekkers. That battle's over. It's Trekkies. The deal with it. <laughs> um, but it, it just seemed a really interesting thing. And I, I, it got me thinking, you know, what is the place of Doctor Who in the overall, you know, space-based fandom sci-fi sort of series? Is it, is it number three? Is it number two? It's not number. I mean, Star Wars has got to be number one. But, yeah. um, you know, as far as television properties go, you know, is, is who bigger than Trek amongst probably your generation, Ethan? I think there's an actual debate to be had there. Yeah, amongst my I, generation, I don't think there is. I think it's I think, I think it's the it's Star Trek franchise. Trek. But it's I think, interesting. Uh, early 2005 there would have been a, an interesting point where you've got star trek you've got star gate i think at that point who might have actually been number three yeah but star oh see i, I think who passes stargate pretty i think who passes stargate or Battlestar galactica or any of those pretty much halfway through tenants run i mean i think it gives any legitimacy it's the because i don't think either one of those other ones went mainstream Stargate was one of those niche things that I found out niche. Into the, yeah, yeah I, I don't think Stargate ever went mainstream and Doctor Who does go mainstream 
It does. Um, you know, especially over here. I mean, over here, it goes, it goes big time mainstream. Over in North America, I, I still think it's, I think Doctor Who, man, we got on a wild tangent here early on, but <laughs> I think Doctor Who is the most mainstream friendly of like modern day science fiction. Yeah. Where yeah. The, it's fairly easy to access. Like it's got a deep chronology and you can get really invested in it, but it's also got, got an easy access point because generally it's one doctor generally it's one uh companion more often than not and you've typically got like a monster of the week or at least a monster of the two weeks kind of theme yeah. to it and then you can reset as you go through and you can sort of build your knowledge as you continue i don't think the other series let you let you do that um probably best described by the fact that i gave up on picard and i love i love jean-luc picard i was just like what i don't want to think this it's also really the about depressing jeez <laughs> i'll give it a go at some point again but that was that was a hard watch back back heard, to this which yeah. wasn't a hard watch back to something that isn't a hard watch and we have uh, after after our uh star trek tangent uh we get a reference then to rose's t-shirt which will be a big thing later on because she's oh. wearing a union jack on her shirt yeah i've got some notes on, i mean so this is 2005 yeah. So I mean, somewhere in the span of about ten years, somehow this because we talked about this on, on on the main pod, somewhere over the span of ten years, this somehow becomes a symbol of bigotry for some reason culturally. But yeah. there would be no one have thought at this point that she's being um, bigoted in any capacity, and it makes me sad that um, a the right wing or, or the, the alt-right have have taken such a hold of union jack and be that we've been so willing to give it up i think the this is my own personal thing I, where i come from flags are big right canada's big on we saw the olympics flags are part of the pageantry of international sport of travel of all those things and it just makes me sad that um that that you you guys have a brilliant looking full you guys i mean geez you're probably about as british as i am but you know <laughs> as, as two people who have british citizenship but but you know probably lean our 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 actual birthright somewhere else or or, or our identities somewhere else yeah um it, it's a brilliant flag here and it's a shame that it's you bring it up and people think negative things you wouldn't do that with the maple leaf you wouldn't do it with the stars and stripes i don't think for the most part uh, there's been some some rhetoric in the wake of, of black lives oh, yeah. matter i do realize that but most countries, the flag is a symbol of pride. It just seems really strange. In just like seven, eight, ten years, this has occurred. In 2012, when I arrived in the UK, there was not this anti-Union Jack rhetoric, I felt. And now it very much is like you wouldn't fly Union Jack outside your, your, outside your house. And I'm like, what is this? So, you know, I only bring this up because I saw her wearing it and went, oh, you couldn't do that today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, and especially with Rose, is a very, like, not bigoted at all character. She's oh. always been very, very progressive throughout the, the series, yeah. I think. But by that one point where she, she calls the Doctor gay because he gets hit when she slaps him, but that's about it. Oh, okay, I don't remember that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's yeah. like a, that's one of those things that I think is definitely, I don't even think it's aged poorly because it's Russell T. Davies who's writing that and he's like, he's a gay man, so he, he understands as I, well. It's, it's true. Unless you can do like pop-up video though, where you have it and then it'll say, it goes, bloop, it's okay that we make this joke because the lead writer of the series is gay. <laughs> I mean, you really can't, you know, do characters, do straight characters get 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 clearance on? Uh, it's all, it's all wibbly wobbly, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Going back to the wibbly wobbly, uh, Rose then hears uh, the first the first call of uh, a, a little boy shouting for their for their mummy, oh. and this is this is where it then begins. And this is why we did this episode because of the iconic iconic character of the gas mask mummy. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm trying to remember. Maybe the first real original. It was only around for two episodes. I fully get that, but something that was new, that was created, and that didn't make you go. Uh, this isn't the Slovene, you know. I don't know if a Slovene was around before or not, or if they were new or not. But but you know, this was this. Was, thank you for bringing out Dalek. Appreciated that. But now here's something, and this was really quite haunting because you can't go wrong. If horror movies have taught us anything, it's you can't go wrong um, making an English child say creepy things. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially a a faceless, yeah. like dead-eyed child, which is always the one thing that terrifies me with horror films. If it's got a creepy ghost kid, I usually avoid it. And this uh. is the perfect sort of tone and ambience for yep. what it's supposed to be. So then the doctor goes. He walks into a bar with what we think at this point is sort of a swing theme, and there's there's some singing. Oh, at the I, same I think we all get here before he does. I'm try I'm definitely trying to give the story the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's time travel series so rather than it's a theme bar i'm going they're clearly in this time frame aren't they? plus the gas have we seen the gas mask yeah oh that definitely dates it come on so he hasn't <laughs> seen that he hasn't seen the gas mask fair enough but yeah. i think we get their head on but i will say this i love this i'd call it a speakeasy but prohibition was never a thing here but i love this yeah. kind of 1930s 1940s era um you know swingy club thing yeah, I think it's good, and also like it sets the tone for what's about to shift dramatically in a second. Because uh, the doctor, after the singing finishes, goes on the stage like, "Hey, is, uh, has anyone seen anything uh, fall from the sky recently?" And everyone starts to laugh as if he's some sort of comedian. And at the same point, we have Rose who starts climbing the stairs to try and get to the child on the roof and grabs onto a rope and starts going up into the air. And as everyone laughs at the same time, sirens start to blare. And this is where the doctor then realizes when and where he is. And at the same point, we then see that Rose is climbing the rope of a blimp, which uh, the kid refers to as a, as a big balloon. Yep. Yep. Um, and the reveal that there are blimps, zeppelins everywhere. Um, a very cool image i love anytime we go to this period uh and dr who isn't afraid to, to to go to this i think for for two reasons i think it's the oldest period of time which modern britain can probably still relate to or have someone who might if not there are members here their father or grandfather i think it's still within our immediate timeline barely and i think that there's a sort of sense of like prosperity and togetherness as well because it was yeah. a it was a terrifying thing and and much, there is that sense of everyone knows the grief from it and you know if you really want to go this way i mean was there a greater set of daleks than the nazis <laughs> i love that I, yeah. I, I i think i think it works you know who's the ultimate big bad you know exterminate exterminate you know it, it, it's kind of and i don't say it to be to make to make light of it but i say it to go like we we we, we took this very um oh what's the word i'm looking for here when you try to eliminate a race uh, genocidal yeah. genocidal concept like nazism is about as most extreme and we put it in the daleks you go oh they're just a chilling villain and well, actually it's just a pretty 
fair representation. And so then if you go here, I mean, we have, you know, it's, it's, it's modern-ish, so we can refer to it. We've all learned about it in school, and it just shoots really, really well. And, mm. you know, it's always easy if you shoot something like that because then I see it's the Second World War, and you don't have to educate me on a whole lot. I pretty much know what the rules of World War II are and who the players are, unlike other periods where you'd have to educate me. Yeah. So there. I don't want to say the thing that I do like about these series of episodes is the Nazis aren't the big villain. The war is just a backdrop to a greater threat, which we don't usually see depicted in media for wars. We never see sort of the blitz on the street, especially in big media. It's always the soldiers in the battle, not the people on the on the ground, yeah. which I think is good for this episode, especially because it's very human centered. And being more human-centered, the Doctor then has to find his human and starts trying to find Rose, but like every other person, he's distracted by a cat, and I think he tries to make that his companion, because he then says, you know, 900 years of phone box travel, and the only thing that will surprise me is if someone doesn't run off when I tell them to stay put. But then he gets surprised again, because the TARDIS starts to ring. And how can it be ringing? Because it's not actually a phone. Yeah. And as he goes to answer it, a girl appears and tells him not to answer it, because it's not for him. And when he asks why, she disappears without him being able to see. And that's where we get like a first sort of mystery reveal of who could this important person definitely be? Let's just play the preposition game. Who is it? Why? What? And we're not going to answer any of it. We're just going to say it's not for you. And that's it. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Which is, I mean, it's good. You don't know if she's creepy. You don't know. It's building... I mean, I, I make fun, but obviously as a viewer, I, I want things to be withheld from me so that when they pay off, that's enjoyable. And so yeah. this was the tease and it plants it and you frustrate me, but it, it, it makes me want to see that character and find out these informations, especially when I like it when the doctor's in the same darkness that I am. Yeah. yeah. And it creates that sense of dread as well, because if the doctor doesn't know something and someone's saying to the doctor that's dangerous you know something's very threatening even if it's just a phone ring yep. so then he picks up the phone answers it it crackles for a bit until he just hears are you my mommy and then it hangs up and at the same point a crash is heard and the doctor has to go which and is good because usually when it's a phone call and i'm like it's not for you they're telling me i've been involved in a terrible car accident that wasn't my fault <laughs> <laughs> or that my uh, social insurance number has been defrauded and if i don't phone them instantly i will be sent to jail and instead, it's a child who's been involved with the accident, so we don't have to worry. Hey, well done, you. Hey. And he starts to run to the where he hears people, and uh, they're saying to get to their bomb shelters. And you get, uh, I think, one of my favorite side characters of this uh, two-parter, which is the Bunker family, because the only thing he's mad about is the Germans are invading during his dinner time, and he's just screaming, don't you Nazis ever eat? And I love that, because it's so, it's so British. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if you want to do the most damage, maybe you do attack during dinner time in the hopes that someone will just go, "No, I'm not doing it." And you might, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Such as, um, he, he's 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 one dimensional British oaf is who this guy is. It's great. I love yeah. it. Uh, so then at the same point when the family go into their bunker, this is when the same girl from before steps out of her bushes and, uh, enters the house and starts to grab tins of food. And we go back to Rose, who's still struggling to hold on as a random unknown person is looking through binoculars. And it turns out it's Captain Jack Harkness in the most John Barrowman introduction ever, where he's just ogling and sexually objectifying someone. He's just staring at her backside. 
And he yep. even makes a reference to it. Nice bottom. Which, of course, yep. makes the other soldier very, very afraid and needing to, to assure his heterosexuality to uh, Captain Jack. And he says, not you. But then we get the first hint where he goes... But yeah, it's something like yours is very nice too, or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, you go nice on bottom too, and then he then he walks off, and it's it's not aged well. I don't know if we want to hit the Captain Jack sized elephant in the room yet. But, oh, uh, okay. Well, I think I think so. So yeah. obviously, John Barrowman uh, was it on the set of this? Was it on the set of Torchwood? What was it on the set of? Uh, I I believe it was the set of Torchwood. I'm yeah. not entirely sure. It's one of the who. It wasn't. Brothers. It wasn't who itself. I don't think. Yeah. But uh, it's come out that for jokes he used to. Um, I don't even expose himself is the right word. I I believe did he used to place his penis in, on people's persons. He just he just get his penis out. Like and just like put it on their shoulder or things like that. And yeah, just <laughs> random random places where a penis shouldn't be. Allegedly. Yeah, it's important to say allegedly, but this is what has been alleged, I, and he has made comments about his pain. And for a while, it seemed like everyone was just going, "Oh well, it's John Barrowman." And then it seemed like there was a second wave where they went, "No, no, 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 this is just going to be oh well, it's just bought John Barrowman." And then, um, yeah, uh, he's, you know, I don't know to what degree. <laughs> there is a certain sort of charmedness where you go like anybody else would probably be like crucified for this. Like he still seems like he's he's. Um, He's getting some goodwill, it feels, because he's yeah. it's it's a bit laddish, isn't it? That whole like, because oh, I I wasn't getting it out to to try and instigate sex, but I was doing it to I don't know, get like, a laugh, yeah. get a laugh, get a laugh. But it's this weird power. I didn't ask for your penis to make a display. Um, yeah. from what I heard, uh, Barman and Eccleston didn't have a, a good relationship on and off set. Like they usually butted heads, which is another one of the reasons he wanted to leave the show. Oh, really? Um, okay. So I, I don't know what happened there. I will say I was um, watching a little video that um, he, David Tennant, and uh, Catherine Tate did. When, by uh, he, do you mean Barrowman or by he, do you mean Eccleston? Uh, Barrowman. Okay. Uh, so the three of them did a song to celebrate um, Rusty Davies' time on the show. And uh, one of the lines that uh, David Tennant sings, uh, pretending to be Russell T. Davies, is dealing with Johnny B getting his cock out. And then um, Joss, uh, J- John Barrowman w- uh, winked at the camera. So I'm like, oh, okay. So that's just a known thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Which was rough to see. But uh, from going to that, from an awful segue now, we just go to uh, the girl back at the, the home and she sees a massive roast dinner and whistles for her street boys to join her. And at the same point, Rose falls and is caught in the tractor beam by Jack. And he tells her not to turn her phone off, which helps him know that she isn't from the 40s and she's from the 21st century. She lands in his arms. She's starstruck and she faints. Yeah. Which I think this is starting this. uh, We said it with Dalek, but there's this continuous sort of love triangle for the doctor rose and whoever and i think they're definitely trying to get that that definitely here yeah i think you're right um it's interesting the the, the sort of thing we saw earlier in dalek where there was a hint of jealousy between the doctor about the uh english lad whose name now escapes me is it adam adam yeah yeah didn't escape me as it turns out um (laughs) Now, we do it with someone a little bit more confident, and how can we make him a bit more different? I know, we can make him American, and so there's there's a whole different sort of side to this now, and um, I, 
I appreciated it in the sense that I mean Rose is a willing participant throughout, so I'm not worried yeah. about about representation of women in this. Uh, uh, you know, a woman's allowed to pursue multiple relations, not even relationships. She's flirting with two men. That's what's happening in this episode. That's yeah. all. That's all it is, and that's okay. Uh, she, you know, she doesn't have to behave a certain way just because she's a companion of a doctor. Um, so I, but it's fun. But let's get over this. It's fun for the viewer to see to see the doctor in competition and occasionally come in second place as the most funny or the most charming or even the most ad- advanced guy scientifically there. And so I enjoyed um, Captain Jack and what he eventually does become. There are large parts of this episode I'd completely forgotten about. So I it, yeah. it was it was fun to go back and and, and revisit it. It's a lot of character and just dialogue fun stuff, which I which I enjoy. Yep. And to another scene that I really do enjoy is uh, back with the girl that we discover is called Nancy and her lost boys as they're passing the meat down the table. And uh, <laughs> they're always saying, thank you, miss. Thank you, miss. And the doctor grabs his slice and says, thank you, miss. And this is when, you know, the doctor sneaks in and he starts asking about what's going on with these homeless kids. And we learn that they were all ex-evacuees who came back home because they didn't like it in the countryside. So now Nancy looks after the homeless kids in London, to which the doctor <laughs> just says, don't know if it's Marxism or a West End musical, which I think is fantastic. It is. It's got elements of yeah. Oliver to it. It does. Yeah. Um, She's even called Nancy as well. That's true. <laughs> I really liked the um, let's just put it out there and go, you are supposed to be over my history books. You are supposed to be in the country. And they answered that question really, really quickly when, you know, in order for this to make sense, the kids had to be there, but they at least went to the bother of having the doctor ask and then have the question answered. And mm-hmm. I like that. Don't insult my intelligence. And this didn't. So hurrah for Stephen Moffat. Yeah, so then uh, the doctor is saying he needs to find a blonde in a Union Jack and where's the bomb that's not a bomb. And when he says this, he shows a a draw a very a very crude sketch of uh, the bomb that's not a bomb that landed in London a month ago. And Nancy starts to look a little bit la- uh, rattled. And that's when we hear a knocking on the door and another "Are you my mummy?" And that's when the kids and Nancy get terrified and they're screaming to to lock the door, make sure the door's been shut. And at this point, Nancy's then trying to get the kids out of the building. And as he's uh, the little boy is trying to put his hand through the the mail slot, and she says to the doctor, "Don't touch him, or you'll be like him, empty." Hence the empty child. Yep. And then the the phone begins to ring, and it's the empty child again. And he turns the radio on, he turns the electric monkey on, and they're all saying, "Are you my mummy? Let me in, mummy. Uh, I want to come in." And he puts it through the he puts his hand through the mailbox again, and we see that there's a, a mark on it. Uh, a bloodied mark and uh, everyone's left except the doctor trying to figure out what's going on he says oh there's no mummies here just us chickens and he wants to find out why the children are so afraid of the empty child but it doesn't respond because it just keeps saying the same thing over and over please let me in are you my mummy so he gives in opens the door and the empty child is gone mysteriously yeah yeah um it's great every time we we come across it they get a little bit closer but not quite there um it's good at building tension i know the next time we meet them they'll probably get closer soon it's a really effective way to do this an episode that probably is you know one of the more horror adjacent type of sort of episodes yeah yeah i'd say this is like the 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 most full like the most blown scary yeah. uh, like episode of this series yep yeah, i would agree with that 
and uh yeah and really enjoyed that and we're getting little bits of information but again just enough to just give us a little bit more so it's weird because every time we get we get more information we get the child coming back which puts my heroes in jeopardy so i want it and i'm afraid of it at the same time much like the doctor probably feels about about the the, the child itself so you know um it's it's very one step forward, two steps back, and yeah. you get a little bit close to figuring out what it is, but also puts you a bit further because the second you get that, like you said, a little bit of cheese or whatever. So just from a narrative so just yeah. from a narrative structure perspective, this is great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially because I watched this back to back and it is it's like it's like its own little horror film. I did watch it back to back as so, well, yeah. It's so well done. Yeah. Uh, so then we go to Rose who's uh, coming to after fainting, and this is where we find out properly about Captain Jack. He's Captain Jack Harkness, an American volunteer, and he uses psychic paper, which uh, Rose is able to deduct and see that he's lying. And uh, well, there's a little bit it's of flirting back and forth. It's because his psychicness isn't great, because it's uh it's he's not cons- focusing correctly is where we learn you really have to pay attention when you do the psychic yeah. paper or else it'll say things like you want me to know that you're single and a good dancer <laughs> so yeah and then very single when rose tries to use it back and saying that she sort of has a boyfriend called mickey but she's still single very single and uh, rose has rope burn and this is when we get our first hint to uh, nanogenes, where jack uses them to heal her and he says they're all part of the air it's all full of them and then we get to learn a and little bit more. And she thinks this is very Spock, which is very great because for the first time, he doesn't know. And of course, the doctor doesn't know. But we know she's starting to compare the two already. Yeah. Because he is this where he has he said the word time agent to her yet? Uh, yeah. He's like, oh, I, I knew you time agents would come sooner or later. To which point we're going, OK, I know what a time lore. So again, it's the slightly alternate version of what we have. And again, give me a piece of something and don't pay it off just yet. I want to come back to it. So, um, yeah, just just this, this is fun. Yeah. And uh, because he thinks that she's a time agent, they go on to the drink uh, to drink on the balcony to discuss business. And we find out he's uh, he's in a flying invisible ship. It's mid air next to Big Ben's clock tower, and it's it's such a great visual set piece for Doctor Who set in Britain. Big Ben blaring, the lights flashing, a girl in a Union Jack shirt. It's 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 per- it's so quintessentially British media. It's amazing how many things are going to threaten the uh, the planet seem to happen in uh, <laughs> no, touristy London. Oh yeah, it's great. As then we just go back to Nancy, who's running across the tracks and puts a load of food in a, in a random train car, which, to be fair, I had no idea about this until I went back to my notes, but it's the same train car in the second episode with the typewriter. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I finally realized that. And uh, the doc's been following her, and uh, Nancy's response is to make fun of his nose and his, his big ears. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he wants to know, so the thing that's been chasing you, it's only been in the last month and this is where nancy says that there was a bomb that wasn't a bomb that landed at a limehouse green station and has soldiers now guarding the entire perimeter but if uh if the doctor wants to find out more he needs to talk to the doctor first Yep. Which I like. It creates a little bit more of, of another mystery because then we go oh is there is there another doctor I- here or is there someone more ingenious behind it all I love a good uh, there's another doctor fake out I do. Yeah. I absolutely do. Every time it comes up, I'm like, I love it. So, yeah, th- thoroughly appreciate that because for, for a moment, because he wouldn't know, especially if it's a future version of himself, there's no way he'd know. So, love it. That's the great thing about Doctor Who and time travel is you always have those moments, especially 
with the episode the next doctor with david tennant there is a whole point where everyone's like oh yeah oh maybe this is that's yep. great that's maybe so we're clever. revealing it years in advance or yeah you never think oh that would be a great long play if you could get someone to commit years in advance and don't tell anybody well, I remember with, uh, if we ever get around the next Doctor, David Morrissey, who plays the quote-unquote Doctor, was rumored to replace Tennant like back in two thousand seven. Oh, is that the, right? And, the, and I was like, oh shit, it's actually happening. Very which clever. I think is, it's genius. Very clever. Uh, so we go back to Rose, and uh, Jack then begins to tell us about uh, you know everything the time agency uh, has to offer and wants to buy. And uh, at this point, at the same time, Rose uh, is starting to notice that Jack's uh, starting to come on to her. Not that she's against it, so he turns on some Glenn Miller, and the two of them dance. I love Glenn Miller. It's amazing how you can make a sci-fi show feel timeless. The juxtaposition of, like, old media with spaceships, brilliant. It's it's sort of the reason that I think a lot of people like sci-fi steampunk as well, because you've got just the two clashes and they somehow match yeah. so well. Uh, and we find out that what uh, his crash to Earth is what? Uh, Jack Selling, and it's a fully equipped warship that uh, the last in its existence, and Jack knows where it is because he parked it, but in two hours, a bomb's going to hit it and destroy it. He's looking to seal two deals, and he's moving very quickly on both. Yeah. yeah. One being Rose, the other being the, the warship. Are you and authorized the- to make payment? Yeah. Yeah. And uh when they're like, Oh, so so how will you pay? And Rose then says that she's got a she's got a companion elsewhere. Uh, <laughs> he so then Jack scans for alien tech to find Rose's companion. And I think that was a great like joke, especially at the beginning, that she's like, Oh, you got a scan for alien tech, Doctor, and he and Jack finally does. Yeah. And that's when you get a little bit more of that uh, that to and fro. And we go back to the Doctor and Nancy, who were looking at the crash site, and he asks her who she lost. And we find out the uh, the reason she looks after the kids is because she lost her brother, Jamie, uh, the same night the bomb that wasn't a bomb crashed when this, she went lo- out looking for food. This is the Doctor saying this, right? Uh, yeah. Dr. Constantine. Oh, uh, no, just the Doctor, Doctor. I thought Dr. Constantine's the one who says that she lost a brother. Oh, no. Uh, Am I wrong? Okay. No, it's before we get to Constantine. Excellent. Uh, so we find out that he got killed by a bomb in that same air raid. And uh, at this point, the doctor's like, you guys are incredible. You're, you're a mouse in front of a lion and you won't stop against everything that's coming in your way. <laughs> and that all of Britain, it's soggy little island is just impressive oh. about going against the might <laughs> of Europe. <laughs> Yeah, this is great. This is, uh, it's okay to be patriotic. We did this speech before the Olympic Games. <laughs> uh, I, I love a good bit where Doctor Who, you know, builds up the British. Yeah, it's great, especially for, for that time period. I think it's fantastic. Yep. And uh, Nancy has to go off and look after the kids, and the Doctor says, you got to do what you got to do. You're saving the world. And he sonics himself into the Albion Hospital, and he goes through and sees all the hospital beds and they're full of gas mask people just sleeping in the beds. Yep. And there are endless beds throughout the entire hospital. And then an old doctor just walks out saying, oh, there are hundreds of them. And this is Dr. Constantine, which was a great reveal, especially because he's he's an old man that kind of looks similar to like classic Who doctors. So it's as if he's like aged alongside them and yep. you get that mysteriousness to him. And we find out that these people aren't wearing gas masks. They've been put to their face, their flesh and bone. 
and yeah. none were caught in the blast. And we, uh, much like the little boy that came here originally, he was caught in a blast, had blunt force trauma, part of his rib was battered. They all have the exact same mark. And uh, we find out that he's also sick and he says he's dying. But don't touch the flesh of any of them when you examine them. And the doctor performs his scan on several different uh, victims. And he just says that every scan is the exact same as the little boy. And and there's no heartbeat on any of them. Yeah, there's no heartbeat, but there was no cause of death either. And they're not dead. They just don't die. Yeah. Um, touching moment. Uh, Dr. Constantine reveals that when the war started, uh, he was a father and a grandfather. Oh, yeah. And now he's neither. And uh, this is interesting if we consider all the way back to the first doctor who's compared because um, Eccleston goes, I know the feeling or something like that. Right. Yeah. And uh, if you remember, you know, the, the first doctor who was his companion, it was his granddaughter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of, um, there's a subtlety and a payoff to people who are much older fans probably than 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 than, than I am, but I was able to pick that up. So Huzzah. Especially now with its reference to Susan, which another reference to the, uh, the first doctor is the first episode of The Empty Child. Uh, when they promoted this episode, uh, the synopsis was the Doctor and Rose investigate London to find the uh, evilness of an un- an unearthly child, which would be the f- title of the first ever episode of Doctor Who. Oh, is that right? Oh, very clever. Yeah, yeah I thought that was uh, that was nice. Uh, and uh, he be- the the Doctor Constantine begins to start gagging, and he starts to say "mommy," oh. and Gaspar starts to come out of his mouth and surrounds his face. And it turns him into the same empty I, child. I got no issues with the Russell T. Davies era production values because they are what they are. And I'm fully aware of it. And for the most part, I think these are better than what we've seen in large portions of the season anyway. So yeah. uh, my issue is expositional character who waits until he knows all the information before succumbing to the threat. Oh, it's great. It's so cliche. <sighs> it's from dusk till dawn when the priest figures he's got half an hour until he turns into one of the undead, so he blesses a bunch of holy water just to help them out. Um it's 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 just it's just that trope. And I was just kinda like yeah. uh although I will give it points that when he first he's the first one to kind of do the bit where he transforms and there's the and you're like, oh shoot. So there is that, and I will give them credit for the moment when you realize he's going to turn, um, that's a cool, and again, horror-esque. Again, this is a very horror-adjacent kind of episode. Yeah. And I don't usually like horror, but I appreciated it in this format. Mm. And to get it even more, like, horror-centric, originally, uh, when the mask goes around uh, the Doctor, they were going to have the sound of his skull cracking and decided oh, oh, that was a bit too much for too much. Uh, yeah. yeah for Saturday night television. Uh, from what I saw, apparently in the Blu-ray of the season one uh, re-release in 2011, they included it, but then uh, future releases then removed it because they still thought it was a bit too much for the PG rating. <laughs> yeah. Which I heard, I heard it. It's not nice. It's not nice. No, no. Okay. And uh, at the same point after that. Uh, the Doctor hears Rose and Jack trying to look for him, and uh, they have the introduction where Captain Jack calls him Mr. Spock instead of the Doctor, because that's what uh, Rose is referred to him as. And we cut straight to uh, Nancy going back to the house where the empty child is waiting, and she has to hide where uh, so it can't find her. 
And then Jack starts scanning the same victims, unsure to how it's happened. And then he admits that the warship that crashed here was a piece of junk and he's a con artist. And we keep cutting between Nancy and the, gr the group. And she's trying to escape, but the empty child uses its finger to shut the door in the uh, living room. And back at the hospital at the same point because of this, because uh, the gas mask mummy, the empty child sees Nancy, all the gas mask mummies in the hospital start to wake up and all start chanting mummy and shouting it. And the doctor tells Jack and Rose, don't get, get too close to them because, you know, you'll end up like them. And this is when uh, Nancy then reveals that it's Jamie saying that Jamie's dead and he shouldn't be here. And the three are cornered in the hospital. Nancy's cornered. And that's how the episode ends. Yeah, good. Uh, right in the middle of, you know, our heroes are quote unquote reunited. Um, Somewhat, yeah. Yeah. And um, and then the threat has this, this sleeping threat, literally, Mm. has awoken and our heroes are seemingly in a place of no escape and i think it's a good place to leave it and definitely i'm glad that i never had to watch this and then wait a week i was always even in my in my first watch of it back in the day that was a netflix thing so i just let it roll yeah. through um good but does what it's meant to do i think it would just make you want to come back um so it's kind of weird to sort of wrap up thoughts about an individual episode when it's clearly just a part one yeah uh yeah um i guess i would just uh sh sh should we sh should we talk some some sort of like you know broadcast figures and receptions on this yeah and then move yeah, on to part two yeah uh, you know uh, so it did like 7.11 million viewers which if you remember the first episode was like 10 something and by dalek we're at uh 8.63 million you know we're kind of bleeding viewers a little bit um it was even down almost a full million from the week before, uh, which was Father's Day, which, you know, we didn't, didn't make our list for kind of a reason. So, um, but maybe that's the reason why. Maybe, maybe you look at the quality of the previous episode and you go to, I really want to go ahead and, and watch this uh, up again. So, um, and despite this, though, it was, it, this one was highly rated uh, by, the, by, the, by the audience who referred to it as... Um, Give an audience appreciation score or index score of 84. I think that's normalized out of 100. So it's a, so it's a very high number. Uh, just really quickly, um, SFX did the two-parter story had everything, but especially uh, Moffat's script. I'm looking for stuff that just deals with the first one instead. Um, and we've got now playing magazine reviewer Arnold T. Blumberg gave the episode a grade of a B, describing it as solid with elements of the original series. Uh, he noted a lot was thrown at the audience and was not impressed with Barrowman's Jack as of yet. I believe that's Ooh. just, I don't know if that's the two parts overall, or that's the one. And then Deck Hogan of Digital Spy specifically praised uh, uh, the brevity of Richard Wilson's neat and spooky little cameo. I'm assuming that would be Dr. Constantine. So, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, uh, really, really um, like this. And uh, the Huffington Post labeled The Empty Child and the one we're about to talk about as uh, one of five. So they lumped them together and said it's one of five essential episodes for new viewers to watch uh, through, throughout. You know, that was in... Uh, I don't know what, that was in 2011 before the second half of the sixth series. So yeah, so if you're talking about five series, five and a half series, saying this is one of five essential episodes, that's fairly high praise, I think. Oh, and, definitely, with the, the, the level you've had at that point as well. 
And the Empty Child is the 12th scariest, twentieth scariest villain as per uh, the 2013 Doctor Who TV poll, or not poll, but uh, judgment. 20th, I, mean, I don't know. I think this kid's, I think it only ranks 20th because we, we saw them once. Yeah. For, for a two-parter. So that's um, really kind of about what I've got on on that one. It's, it's really hard to make any sort of sweeping judgments based on episode one uh, because we really just have hit a pause button on a much larger story. Yeah. And uh, then with that, we'll go to the conclusion with The Doctor Dances Our Two-Parter. And, uh, and this is this May thing, uh, 21st, 2005. Wow. wow. Yeah. That feels, that feels a long, long time ago. It does feel a long, long time ago. Six and a half. 16 and a half. 16 and a half. You thought yeah. it was a long time at six and a half. Yeah, news for you. Yeah. <laughs> this episode would be getting their GCSE results. Wow. Yeah. That's that's criminal. That is. I, that's terrifying. <laughs> uh, and we get we get the recap of the episode. And the thing I like about this, which Doctor Who doesn't usually do, and I wish they would, is uh, through the recap, you then go to the same scene we're left at before, and it just extends and continues to, uh, instead of going straight to the uh, title card, you get the scene going on, and the Doctor's just begins saying, go to your room. I mean it. I'm oh. very, very cross. Go to your room. And all the mummies begin to start going off sulking. And it saves Nancy as well as the empty child then leaves as well sulking. And did this just, feel did this feel weak? I'm gonna say yes. And yeah. I'm gonna reference uh I'm gonna reference an episode that we did for uh for Loki when we were like Ah, uh, wouldn't it be like real cheap if like immediately Loki and Sylvie get saved and like the yeah. like, two minutes in, and it, it was it was like that. To be fair, watching it back to back, I like if there wasn't the cliffhanger and just continued, I would totally be fine with it. But that week, <laughs> but viewing it from that week between, and everyone's like, oh. oh, what magical thing is the Doctor going to do? And he's like, go to your room. It's very Doctor Who, but it's also very very corny. Yeah, it was just a bit. It was just a bit too. You took a real threat and you made it a little bit silly, and I felt yeah. maybe it undercut. Maybe it was the only thing they could do to get him out of the room. And I'm like, all right. Um, I mean, did I forgive it in the end? Yeah, I did, but I still uh, that felt weak. <laughs> and uh, the doctor just says, oh, "I'm really glad that worked because that would have been terrible last words." And then we get our title for the Doctor Dances. Also written by Stephen Moffat to conclude his two-parter. Yeah. And after that, we just go straight to uh, Jamie walking off and Nancy just cries. And it's it's, it's heartbreaking, especially with what we learned seconds before the last episode finished. Yep. And uh, the Doctor just asked Jack to elaborate on his uh, con because uh, it's the perfect self-cleaning con in which there'd be a random piece of junk that would fall to Earth or somewhere in time. A time agent would come along to try and figure out what it is. Jack would say, okay, here you go, here's the money, give him half of his payout, and then magically the bomb would fall, and they all get a bar, go to a bar, have a drink, and with that half of the money that Jack got, he'd give him some money and talk about dumb luck. And he then references that, you know, uh, the Blitz and Pompeii are great because you just uh, there's always cat catastrophe, but you need to make sure that your alarm isn't ready for Volcano Day. And this is where Jack then realizes that things aren't starting to go right and he swears that he didn't make any of this happen he didn't land on anyone and had nothing to do with it and the doctor just immediately makes him eat his words and says well you need to check your watch because it's volcano day 
Yes. Which I, I, I like because it's really showing the, the ego of these two people coming together where they, I don't think Jack believes he's right at all, but he need, he's trying to at least back himself up in some way. They both know he, they're on the same side of knowing who's actually right, but he needs to have that, that fake bravado for that, for that second. And uh, we then go to Nancy, who gets spooked by a, a random kid in a gas mask, uh, and it turns out it's the homeowner's uh, child, and she gets caught by them and tied up for questioning. And then the doctor makes Jack use his sonic blaster to open a door, where we learn that that same sonic blaster was uh, on a plant. The doctor destroyed it and turned it into a banana farm, because banana's good. And I think that's... Uh, it then, later on, I think, works more when you realize that before this incarnation, he was like the war doctor. He was guns, everything of yeah. chaos. And after that, the first thing he has to do is destroy anything of of destruction and death. I, I, I like that for the character as well. Yeah. And they go into a room where something powerful and angry broke through uh, the glass in the room. It's sort of a, a hiding facility to sort of test and question someone. And it's scattered with children's drawings where the doctor then begins to play an audio recording where uh, Dr. Constantine questions the empty child, where it starts to beg for its mummy, asking if uh, if the doctor's his mummy, where's his mummy? He wants to see his mummy. And we then get a bit of a, a hint that the tape's starting to wear out. And uh, Nancy, not, Nancy, Nancy starts being questioned by the house owners where she's like, oh, no. You say that you've got all this uh, this from the sweat of your brow. I want your wire cutters because uh, everyone's saying that your wife's been messing with the butchers, but we all know it's been you. There's that sweat in your brow. And uh, she's let free, which there's there's an ongoing theme with RTD uh, Doctor Who where they have like not explicitly gay characters, but they're just there. And it's not like a it's just like a normal thing compared to what would happen later on where it's always front and center referencing. Which I appreciate with the writing throughout this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we just go to the Doctor, who's come to the conclusion that the pat that the uh, the empty child is as powerful as a god, but it's full of fear and can decimate anything with its power. Yeah, and they're still hearing the tape going on, but they realise the tape's starting to uh, wear out. And they've sent the empty child to its room, which is the same room they're in. And Jack just goes to shoot the child. But the, the doctor's replaced it with that same banana he referenced earlier. Which is a great little pay, payoff. Yeah. It really is. Like, it was it was a scene earlier, but it works so well. For you give me just enough time that I forget about it. And then when it comes yeah. back up, I go, hey. <laughs> so there. And then he, he's, uh, he's stolen Jack's blaster, used it to make a hole through the wall to escape. And it turns out that the sonic blaster can also reverse the damage done, so it seals the child in, but uh, it can punch through the walls because it's got the strength of a god, and all of the mummies start to chase them all again. And there's a bit of screwdriver envy, some sonic envy, because uh, they're arguing over which one can do what. It's like, oh, I'd never ever got bored to try to assemble a cabinet really quickly. So Rose <laughs> then steals the blaster to go to the lower floor. They fall through, but there are still more mummies everywhere. And uh, this is where Rose and Jack start to bond over the fact that Rose, uh, the Doctor, blows up their stuff, uh, which I, I appreciate. They're going on about, you know, the the Sonic Blaster being blown up. Rose goes on about her work being blown up. And uh, they're stuck in a, in a sealed room with no real escape. 
and uh, Jack just disappears. Yep. Yeah, he does. And uh, our heroes are presumably left, and they think he's a coward, uh, amongst other things. And so, uh, but Rose is convinced that he wouldn't just leave them, leave them. Yeah. And the doctor is convinced that he would do exactly that, which again is is a nice, fun little um, conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And then we go to Nancy, who's found the Lost Boys again in the train cart from uh, earlier. And uh, she gives them all the food. Uh, and one of them is writing on a little typewriter to send a message to his dad. When you have the, the back and forth between, oh, you can't even write. Well, I'll just put it in a, in a letter, see what happens. And uh, as the writing goes on, Nancy's like, oh, no, you've got to stop that noise. And then she apologizes, lets him do it again ever so slowly. And they have a discussion about what would happen if Nancy doesn't return. And uh, she then tells them that I'm saying this because you, you gotta go, I've got to go back to the bomb site. And uh, she doesn't know if she'll return. And uh, she's doing this for their own good because the reason that the empty child is following them is because it's following Nancy, not the boys. Yeah. And uh, they're like, oh, no, no, we'll be safe. It'll be, we won't be in danger. And then Nancy's like, well, who's typing then? Because yeah. no one's typing. Which was and, great. It's the same sort yeah. of co- uh, thing that happened in the room with the tape. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do you know of a little known fact about this? No, I don't. This was not originally in the script. This was only oh. written because the episode, when cut, ran short. And oh. so they went, we need to pad. But as far as padding goes, I think this is brilliant. It's. I think without this scene, it doesn't even get to explain nancy fully as a character i think it gives some of the best even exposition i think to everything she's doing and again i I mean i got to the typewriter reveal before they did but only by by moments uh and it's a great it's another great little horror-esque thing now it does play the same thing as, as the tape again like we said where you know what's going on what's that sound it's the sound of the tape but i like that the same thing happened in two different places because it's not like one of those things where they have this power and they will never use it again and the idea that it can do more than just uh audio production but this is never meaning communications and we can do it with paper form was another level of um horror-esque magic whatever that uh I found to be really effective and was like, this is cool. Especially as like a, a cheapy little practical effect that works so, so well yeah. for, to, for setting the tone and making you feel really trapped. Absolutely. So then Nancy's like, okay, I've got to leave then. And then we see that everything that's been typed on the typewriter is just saying, are you my mummy over and over again? And then we go back to Jack, who's uh, been transmitted via uh, the radio, uh, which he refers to as uh, Oncom, which we also find out is the same way that the, the empty child is uh, talking to everyone via the radios, the typewriter, any different way. And uh, as they say that, the child starts to do the exact same thing with the radio, and then Nancy begins to break into the crash site. And uh, while this is going on, the doctor's uh, trying to use his sonic screwdriver to get the wall to loosen the bars. <laughs> Uh, which this has been a this is an episode where it really likes to make the Sonic uh, sort of extend its its use, uh, especially later on. Yeah, what can't the Sonic the Sonic screwdriver do? Whatever we need it to do this episode, but still not wood. Yes, and uh, this is when Rose begins to sort of say that you know she really does trust Jack, and because he's like the Doctor, but with dating and dancing. <laughs> And uh, the doctor's sort of like offended by this. So, you know, I, I can dance too. So Rose then tries to get the doctor to dance with her. And uh, 
he's sort of questioning why her rope burns are gone because she was on a blimp high above. Yeah. And while they're talking and sort of slightly flirting, they don't realize they've been teleported onto Jack's ship, which he then uh, says is a another Chula warship, similar to what he referred to the uh, bomb that's not a bomb as. Uh, and this is where the doctor begins to investigate the nanogenes uh, because he touches some electrical equipment, gets stung, and immediately heals them. And uh, Nancy then gets caught. We go back to Nancy. She's been caught by the soldiers in the military base where the bomb landed. And uh, she's then locked up with a man who is another victim of the gas mask plague. He starts coughing and he refers to um, the, the in-command as, uh, as his mummy when he says, uh, watch your Jenkins. He goes, yes, mummy. Yeah. Which I, which I thought was, it's funny, and then it dawns on you how sinister that actually is about what's going to happen, because she's all locked up. And then we go back to Jack saying the, the reason that he has it out for the time agents is because uh, they wipe two years of his memories when he worked for them, and he needs them back. And this is sort of his, his petty revenge. Did you know that like the, uh, this still hasn't been addressed in the Doctor Who timeline? No, it hasn't. They've never, they've never gone any further with that and explained why or how or tracked down or had any certain. It's just there. Here's, here's his motivation, and we're never going to pay it off. I don't even think Big Finish have done like an audio play on it because it's always mm -hmm. just been Torchwood or yep. Unit. There's yeah. never been uh, anything about that, which I, I kind of like that it's vague. Like, he never gets them back, so we never get to see them. If I hadn't rewatched it, like, you know, I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched the series because enough time goes by that when, you know, spoiler alert, John Barrowman shows up again later on, um, mm. you, you kind of go, uh, you know, you, you kind of forget about this little tidbit. And he's just, hey, it's Captain Jack. And you forget about, you know, the motivation for, for this one thing. So, uh, but yeah, interesting that... Uh, you know, the, the, he's a scoundrel, but he's a scoundrel with whatever. And, you know, Captain Jack can't go wrong with a Captain Jack who might or might not really be a captain. <laughs> Just saying. And is and, I, is, and is sexually uh, ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. I do like that we never really see it as well, like going on further on as if like he leaves that behind as well when we get to the end of the episode. Like he's not forgiven it, but he's given up trying to look for vengeance in a sense. Yep. Uh, so then uh, Jack Rose and the Doctor head to the same site that Nancy's at, and uh, he's gonna. Uh, Jack says that he'll go distract uh, Algy the soldier instead of Rose, because Rose wouldn't be Algy's type. And uh, this is when uh, the Doctor sort of informs Rose about the type of person Jack is. He's a 51st century guy, and, uh, you know, sexuality has become a lot more fluid throughout as uh, humanity goes into space and starts seeing different species and uh, start dancing, as he refers to it as. And and dancing seems to be a metaphor here for sex. Yeah. Yeah. It's used pretty, it's both dancing and it's sex uh, throughout. And I, I think this is the episode they kind of decide they're going to um, be a bit more, uh, it may be explicit, it's not the right word, but it is the right word, uh, with the idea about the doctor and romantic feelings towards his yeah. companions. Uh, then we get uh, Jack going to Algy, who then calls Jack mummy immediately and becomes a gas mask mummy. And this is where we find out the infection is becoming airborne and it's accelerating. And as everyone's starting to panic and worry, Nancy can be heard singing Rockabye Baby to make the uh, Jenkins, the mummy, sleep in uh, the room where she's held captive. And the doctor uses this to help her escape. And... Uh, 
as they're all together, they unveil the the capsule, the Chula warship, and its siren starts blaring, and the empty child and all of its victims start to awaken and walk towards the crash site. Uh, and at this point, we find out, you know, the sonic screwdriver can reattach barbed wire, and that's uh, Rose and Nancy's job to reattach the barbed wire. Yep, <laughs> repair the things that are broken. And if you think about it symbolically, I think uh, there's about to be a bit more of that before we get out of the episode. Yeah. So then we go to the wire fixing with Rose and Nancy, and they they begin to discuss the war. And uh, Rose starts to you know reveal what's happened to help ease Nancy's fear because she believes this is the end of the world. And uh, Rose is, says, you know, this isn't the end of the world. I was born in this city fifty in fifty years time, and Nancy doesn't understand because she's not German at all. And she, you know, she then informs her, which she shouldn't, but she's like, I got to tell you, but don't tell anyone else. You guys win the war. We beat the Germans. We beat the Nazis. <laughs> Who's going to believe her? Some time traveler told me that we beat the Germans. Sure, they did, love. All right. A time traveler told me we beat the Germans when we stopped my brother who got blown up in a in a bombing accident and became a gas-masked mummy. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> the number of times the citizens of London have to forget things in Doctor yeah. Who is astounding. Because it's, like, it's almost like every episode we just reset them. And yeah. we go, you don't remember anything that's happened in Doctor Who. It's probably going to London so much. <laughs> because the number of things they would have to remember have occurred is 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 not small. I'm referencing the next Doctor episode again, but there is a giant Cyberman that walks over all of the city of London yeah. in the 1800s. And everyone just kind of forgets about it. Granted, there's a plot point for that. But, but there's not one yeah. for all of them. So yeah, there yeah. we go. And uh, they open the capsule, and it turns out that Jack was wrong. The capsule wasn't empty, and it was full of enough nanogenes to rebuild an entire civilization. And it went inside a dead child with the gas mask to bring it back to life. And, of course, they didn't know what a human was, but they do know they do what they're programmed to do. And because of that, it thinks it knows what the people are. And the entire race is starting to be torn apart because of a terrified child looking for its mother. And the only thing Jack can just say is he didn't know, and he sort of sulks off defeated and sort of upset with himself. And then the horde arrive. Well, because he, yeah, he, he has, he yeah. has caused this. And especially if you consider, you know, what, what's occurred. I mean, all throughout this, there's, there's the fight to, to save the day, but there's also the fight to win Rose. And this yeah. ain't going to be helping him win Rose. So, oh, no, no, um, yeah. So he kind of sulks away going, you know, she made him to, to use a line from <laughs> a different movie, a different media property. You know, she made him want to be a better man. And, and turns out he, the man he was is getting in the way of the man that he kind of, wants to be now and so he kind of skulks away because the doctor's got the moral high ground he is anakin sky not anakin skywalker he's obi-wan kenobi give it up captain jack i have the high ground and rather than try and flip he goes yeah you're right and sulks away yeah i think it's also like very telling especially because only minutes ago we learned that the reason captain jack is on this sort of vengeful quest to do against the time agency again referencing Loki in the same way Silky wanted to destroy the TVA because they wronged him for two years that he can't get back and he could have done horrible things and he wants to right that wrong. Yeah. And in doing so, he's done another terrible thing, destroying a life and, and possibly and, all of time. And this one he can remember. Yeah. And is going to be forced to will. live with it. Yeah. Uh, which I think is, it's, I like these analysis, these, like analyze analyzing it like this because you really get to see the, the characters. Doctor Who is a very 
episodes like this are very character driven and you really see the the gears turn for yeah. how it affects everyone and as the horde arrived the ship thinks it's under attack because it's been opened up by unknown people and it's turned the horde into its soldiers because it's a battle ambulance and it will do what it can to turn those same people into its soldiers and they're standing in position waiting for jamie the empty child and this is where nancy starts to plead that please don't he's just a little boy and the doctor finally doesn't know what to do and uh, as nancy cries all of the mummies start to cry out as well because they're linked to to jamie and uh this is typical sci-fi yeah. thing if you can affect the, the one you can affect the horde yeah fix one fix the horde you know otherwise you're in trouble yeah yeah and it, it gets a bit too hot for, for for jack because it's volcano day and he just teleports out leaving the doctor nancy and rose by themselves and uh, this is where we find out at the same point that uh, Nancy is Jamie's mum, and she was a single teenage mum in the war. And, I'll uh, give him this. I, I yeah. didn't get here. Uh, when, when he says that, I hadn't clued in. Did you ha Did you clue in? See, I completely forgot about this. Yeah. So when it happened, I started, I was like, well, if they're crying, because it was like looking for its mummy, and I'm like, okay, maybe, but possibly. I don't think Doctor Who was, I didn't think Doctor Who was that progressive at the time to ta to tackle that. No, but, I still didn't. We're talking yeah. about progressive at the time. Did you know what the original plan was? No. The original plan was also to make the father German. Oh. So, so, like, so like her guilt is twofold. Wow. Yeah. And they went, maybe that's a step too far. And so they just changed, yeah. they just made it. So it's just, she, she was just a teenage mom. And then you know what that would have meant back in the in, in the forties. You would have been sent away, and exactly what would have happened? You would have raised it as a brother, uh, yeah. while your parents raised it as a child to spare you and your family the shame that apparently would would, would come from this. And so her, you know, forget twenty, you know, two thousand five, and the morals present there. I mean, in nineteen forties, the idea about publicly confessing, yes, this is my son. Yes, I had premarital sex and got pregnant and didn't tell anybody and didn't tell him and, you know, the layers of guilt. You know, I, I felt that it wasn't as simple as her going, yes, I am your mommy. And, you know, she, we had to kind of see her fight to get to this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially if that Ger the German plotline was still in that there's that greater threat now of the child born from German blood is now turning British people into a monster during World War Two, where they're fighting said German monsters. I think that, granted, it's very heavy-handed, but it would totally make sense. But I understand why they took it out. Yeah. And uh, th from here, the doctor just tells Nancy what she needs to do. And Jamie once again asks, are you my mommy? And Nancy finally gives in and tells him for the first time that she is, in fact, his mom. And he sort of doesn't understand at first because the doctor thinks there's still not enough Jamie left. But Nancy holds him in a, in a tight hug and starts apologizing so for leaving him. She touches him. Yeah. You she know, gives so, him a touch. Well, that, that's it. Like, she's all in at that point. Yeah. You know, a, a mother's embrace. And it's like yeah. that, you know, for everything we've been told so far, she's committed suicide. Yeah. She, she, especially for someone who said, don't touch him, that's her yeah. first. Oh, and the nanogenes start to swarm the two of them and it begins to recognize that they've got the same DNA. It's mother's DNA and it works. 
and Jamie's now, restored. It, it works because Christopher Eccleston and the script writers are telling us. Uh, yeah, it, it must be. The nanogenes are, are rewriting the Recognize DNA. Recognize it. Oh, you DNA. clever little blighters. And Rose goes, what? Because the audience is going, huh? And so he has to explain <laughs> it. But that's where the that's where the companion relationship helps. Because when you have these yeah. overly convoluted finishes, he can explain it to her and therefore us. And then we go, oh, what a lovely moment. But you know what? It works. It works. But you did need to explain it. So I, I you know, yeah. it, it, it was well done. Yeah, and then um, the bomb's about to land that was going to destroy the vessel, but Jack returns. Again, very hands solo in the character that he is, returns at the final moment to stop everyone from being bombed, and uh, he says his final goodbyes because he's using his tractor beam, and he's saying, well, it's still going to detonate soon, and he teleports away, and uh, the nanogenes begin to surround the doctor, and he gives uh, what he calls the the email upgrade to all of the horde, so everyone can live. <laughs> the email upgrade, very two thousand five. Yeah, yeah. And everyone finally gets to live just this once. Everyone lives, and uh, they're all free of the the mask virus. This and the joy on the doctor's face when everybody yeah. lives, Mo- you know, so shortly after the end of the time war, for the doctor's mm-hmm. perspective. Uh, interesting. Uh, Colin Baker has called this his favorite episode of series one and oh, highlighted yeah. this scene. The everybody lives scene as his favorite moment of the series total. It is. It's, yeah. it's fantastic, especially for it. I think it's one of Eccleston's most emotional parts. Like after Dalek, this, it's just the, the look in his eyes, the sound of his voice. There's not a tear, but you just, you feel the heartbreak of the doctor finally getting to do something, save people again which is interesting because then we will later see and i i don't know if i remember remember if we cover this one or not on the list it's a shame if we don't but i understand (laughs) so many good ones uh (laughs) when they do the episode on mars and uh and 10 um decides that uh you know everybody lives but this time it's in defiance yeah of what's supposed to be a fixed point uh and so you take something here and you establish it as beautiful and later we're going to pervert it to show that 10 is 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 out of control and uh yeah so good i I appreciate i love it when they pay attention doctor who's very good at paying attention for the most part to their own chronology yeah yeah and uh, at the same point the doctor then gives dr constantine sort of the the celebration the victory and says oh no you, you cured everyone to the point that uh, a lady comes as I says, doctor, I think my leg's grown back. <laughs> and Constantine's reaction is, well, there is a war on. Are you sure you didn't just miscount which ones you have? <laughs> and I, re- I just really like that. And uh, they go back to the TARDIS and uh, Rose refers to him as Santa Claus, which is like, well, how do you know I wasn't when you had your red bike when you were 12? Nice. And he's, he's so excited. He's got so much joy again because he says everyone gets to live. See, this and- is where I get this silliness is here yeah. when you're, you know, sort of, you know, not to go mental health things on it, but, you know, the, he's had the mania of, and then you fix everything, and then he's on this high, and then you would be excused for being overly quirky, silly, yeah. what, whatever. This was, di- now I know it's the, if it's someone's first episode, you got interested in who a doctor is, I guess, but this just felt like a more appropriate time for it. And I also love when, you know, they bring in, christmas elements because god bless doctor who loves christmas so oh it does yeah which is uh when we get to journey i'll express all of my displeasure of the lack of christmas episodes but yeah yeah uh so we all all the joy and the happiness of the doctor celebrating for saving people but rose isn't as happy and she says what about jack why did he have to say goodbye say goodbye 
and we cut to Jack in his in his warship, and we find that there's a detonation in three minutes, and he's trying to think of every possible way that he can get out of it, looking for escape pods under the sink, anywhere, and he realizes he's got no way out, and he he drinks his his last martini, which is great because he says, you know, yeah. incorporate you know emergency function twelve or something like yeah. that, and it's a very dry martini, and I'm like, nice. And he then remiss, like reminisces on the last time that he was near death, and he was like, I was sentenced to death, and I ordered four hypervodkas, and I then slept with my executioners. <laughs> and he, he has like and a we stayed in touch. Like, <laughs> yeah, we stayed in t- touch. Nice people, nice couple. And uh, he sort of almost uh, accepts his fate after finally doing one good thing in his life after all the terrible things. And uh, as he sits back ready to embrace his death, he starts to hear some... Uh, some music again and uh, the TARDIS turns out to be on board this ship and the Doctor and Rosa having a dance just waiting for Jack to, to board it and the Doctor says come on come on close the door your ship's about to blow up don't want to draft and uh, it's it's a nice moment like oh yeah it, it is bigger on the inside how does that happen and they sort of just have a joking bit of fun some some light-hearted banter and the Doctor's like I don't know it's okay Rose I remember I can dance. They play some swing. Swing. They he dance can swing. Together. Yeah. And uh, it's, I will say, it's very bittersweet because as the Doctor and Rose are having this oh. nice intimate moment together, you just see Captain Jack looking on, almost longing. And uh, she for, even goes, I believe Captain Jack asked for this moment and he ignores yeah. it and takes her. <laughs> Not in that regard, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're clearly in a, I'll just put it as a measuring contest. You can assume what they're measuring. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) very nice. So, um, but it's good and it's good and it would pay off. And I I do like, uh, the idea so often we see, you know, multiple people who are, who are fascinated and, you know, um, um, enamored with the doctor. It's nice to see the doctor and someone else fight after somebody. Um, and in whatever capacity, I think the nine here is, is trying to figure out what, what that is. Uh, I think yeah. I think he's very surprised by 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 what's occurred, and so um, yeah, such is. And that's yeah, that's the that's the Doctor dances and the empty child fully complete. On a side, a really quick one. Do you, do you know why they called the Chula uh, ships the Chula? Yeah, I was going to say, but it's uh, it was named after an Indian restaurant. I think they went to. Yeah, it was like it was like their 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 local curry house where they went and celebrated after they all got given scripts to write. And so I guess he probably said to them, "Look, give us the meal for free. I'll I'll put you in a restaurant on the uh, <laughs> which is just not a half bad way to, to get to get a free a free curry, if you yeah, will. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, uh, this is another. Sorry, go ahead. The thing I like, I was going to say, but uh, sort of now we're in our technical end game. These two episodes would then be nominated for the best uh, drama. It was the uh, Hugo, episodes. wasn't it? Yeah, the Hugo yeah. of 2005, the best sort of series of drama episodes, which I think is very telling because it's a good script. It's a great tone and theme throughout. I, it is, it's almost perfect, Doctor Who. Yeah, I thoroughly uh, agree with that. I mean, everything Dalek did because it was developing on characters we knew, this does stuff with, 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 with new and that's yeah. something and in the process it introduces us to to a new character it establishes this this concept and uh it's it's so weird because the plot is is definitely uh fulfilling and i'm not bored of it but there's so much great character development that's occurring at the same time so it's, yeah it's a good character study for like 
Doctor Who has had some really good moments where they have like an episode or two with a one-off character who might die at the end. And granted, I'm really glad that Captain Jack stays on, but he has, if he didn't like live, he would have had a really nice circle arc, like a complete uh, end. And I, it's, it's nice. I think it's great. If anything, you can say that the, the Jack we first see dies here and we have the new Jack later on. Yeah. Um, broadcast wise, this comes in as the lowest one of a season to date at 6.86 million viewers. Mm. Uh, but it needs to be noted. This was a holiday long weekend. And, um, as a result, it was, uh, it was still the, the most watched television show in all of TV that, uh, that, that evening, it was just people were, were away and not watching TVs. So those who were watching it at 36% of the British audience were watching Dr. Who, which is a huge wow. number. So, um, and uh, the audience appreciation index score was 85. So one point higher than the predecessor, which makes sense. It's really hard to split yeah. these two. I mean, they very much are two parts to the same, uh, story. I will just say that Arnold T. Blumberg, we talked about him, uh, previously of now playing, gave the second half, the first half a B, he gives the second half an A saying wow. that the production and plotting, it was the production and plotting high point of the series to date. Um, and so the episode man manages to smoothly present a ton of techno babble with clarity and precision. And I would say that, and, and praise the exhilarating climax and the dialogue overall. Um, and I would say that's kind of what we're talking about. The idea that in order to explain what's occurred, the problem and the solution, you had to do just exposition, but it was done in a way that I felt like I, yeah, I understood this. Yeah. And it gave me the information as much as I needed and didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, and I felt, yeah, I saw this emotional response. It, it, it's, it's a really intelligently done, um, pair of episodes, singular yeah. story, if you will. So, yeah. Um, so here's the question I got for you then, Ethan. Oh, at the end we did Dalek and now we've done this. What do you like better? I like this better. And it's really difficult because one of the, re I love Dalek a lot as an episode because it's such a good character study of the doctor and Daleks and sort of their psychology and their like their beliefs. But this is so much better overall for character, like because it's juggling multiple people and they all have pretty fulfilling arcs. I would say bar Rose, but I think that gets, that's sort of a seed for later episodes. So I totally get that. But each character has a very fulfilling moment or just set of like scenes. I, I really appreciate it from a character study perspective. Yeah, I don't know for me. Um, in my head, this is a better episode or pair of episodes. Yeah, maybe that's part of the problem. Is I like stand. I like single episodes. I like. Mm. I like. I like. You know. I don't mind if it's an hour and a half long. Just give it to me in one in one fell swoop. Um. <sighs> I, I, I should like this better, but this part of me that just goes and Dalek has, you know, the production values aren't as good. The acting is nowhere near as good. There wasn't a bad actor in this, in this double episode at all. No. Barrowman might've been finding his feet a bit, but that's okay. He's creating a problem. Like compare this to the guy who played the, um, the guy who owns the internet, whatever his name <laughs> was. I mean, geez, that was, and even the woman, like the actors are so much worse to almost yeah. to a person. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's because the Dalek episode is, is, is Rose gets more to do and Rose is, yeah. uh, Rose is our entry point. You know what I mean? Rose. And especially cause you know, Rose knowing what we know, Rose will be the one who will outlive the season. Mm. Um, which is I weird. Cause I said, also, I don't really get Billy Piper and I don't, mm, but yeah, 
I think it's also Dalek's impressive from a, a pacing perspective because yeah. everything Dalek does is in the space of one episode. And I don't think you would have the amount of time needed at all to condense no, this two-parter. I mean, it's, it's, that's always with the two-parter, but there's so much, and especially with the amount of information you need, you wouldn't be able to carefully pay. It would be so quick. And with these two episodes, you need that little bit of lingering plotting to, to get that sense of dread. Dalek is so different in that, that sense. There's probably four or five moments in this, which are better than anything that happens in Dalek. I'll fully acknowledge yeah. that. Dalek gives me like monologues and scenes where yeah. I get to see emotions. And from that side of it, I really like that, but there's nothing like, are you my mummy? Wow. Also, I think partially the idea of it so much a Dalek in order to do it correctly is you don't call it Dalek. And that way the reveal, the one moment it could have had is the reveal of the Dalek, but they give it away. Mm. So, um, cause either you don't know what a Dalek is, in which case you don't get what it means anyway. So none of it matters. Or if you do know what a Dalek was, cause you're an old viewer, you had it spoiled for you. Whereas this yeah. one, the, are you my mummy is brand new and I could fully get creeped. I'm just sort of, cause I gave, I gave Dalek a nine. I think mm. I'd struggle to go beyond eight and a half on this, although I fully realize I should rate it higher, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm going to go eight and a half. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going nine and a half because it's, it's everything I want in a, in a Doctor Who two-parter. It's got amazing writing by Stephen Moffat. You've got yeah. amazing performances all it's around. Much, the character, it's much yeah. better written. I will fully <laughs> give you that. <laughs> the characterization is great. I think... It's it's more up my alley because I love that that sort of suspense horror and that feeling of dread. Yeah. And I I really like that everyone's biting heads. I know I sort of like made fun of the whole rose thing. That's still an issue I have. But overall, it's so well done and everything's put in place. But it, it's difficult because the reasons I love Dalek are so different to the reasons I love the empty child but Fully they're, so, they're so good i mean you know what else is excellent is the idea that we're we're i don't know what it is at this point seven seasons and uh, seven seasons geez seven episodes maybe into the run at this point yeah and um what we have then is i'm probably used to the doctor and rose's relationship we've had about all the first so i do need some complications to start coming into it and john barrowman's a great spanner to throw in the works even oh, for definitely because there's nothing that forces you to deal with your feelings with someone like competition i think and go hey i don't like this why don't i like this what is the thing that i don't get well i can dance and you know these things that we assume the doctor would be or wouldn't be are starting to be questioned by everyone including him and that's 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 fun and for because we're so aligned in a sense we get to be rose because we follow rose so in a sense we get to as weird as this sounds because the camera usually places us in, in in the in the shoes of male characters i think this this episodes or this pair of episodes at least in the, in the love triangle places us with Rose more often than not. So we get to flirt with John Barrowman and Captain Jack Harkness, and we get to flirt a bit with the doctor in those, in those sequences. Cause, cause we get access to both of those sides of um, the conversation, so to speak. Mm. That's, that's a fair bit of fun, especially when, and again, I'm going to say, I think the plan was always, how can we make doctor who uh, global or the very least Western? And so yeah. Captain Jack as an American, brash, uh, forward, um, pansexual. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the best way to, to describe it. Yeah. yeah. And so every, you know, we're, we're especially because if you consider the doctor comes off more or less asexual, usually. 
So what's the opposite? <laughs> Jack Harkness. <laughs> <laughs> who apparently who apparently went method and i wish that hadn't been the case it's it is it's exactly you go uh like han solo and lando carizian together you have the pansexuality and flirtiness of lando and you just have the coolness and like like just yeah just the coolness the cool factor of han solo yeah yeah. the 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 rogue renegade smuggler type scoundrel and it's it's perfect especially because i was gonna say when you said about being in rose's point of view the music whenever jack is on screen is very like flirty oh is it really oh, it is too. you're right yeah, yeah. yeah and it's it's a lot more modern and cool and when we get to the doctor it's definitely a lot more brash uh like brash and like or even just some, or even just some awkward silence versus something he'll stare and we just have these moments where it's not as easy yeah it's a little bit more labored yeah yeah um so so far um I'm, I've got far less complaints about, it's weird, I'll give it a lower rank, but I've got less complaints about this episode. Uh, as we go along, the show is finding, uh, this is the thing, the show has found its feet by now. The show oh, yeah. knows what it is. It took a while. The show knows what it is, and I, and ironically or fittingly, um, it was Stephen Moffat who got us there. Mm. And it was his vision, arguably, through Russell T. Davies' lens. Uh, that kind of established what modern who should feel like and it's this you can see in this the fingerprints of the weeping angels you can see those horror like elements that would actually yeah. place so, the silence you can the see, silence you, the vashnarada in the library like all of yeah, those you can see all of this present here and this is where doctor uh, so take that and then mix in the sexual flirtatious subplots on that side uh, which is very you know the captain jack it's very rory dr amy in many ways as yeah. well that kind of thing so uh, i think we can see the fingerprints of where who is going overall and uh i like it it's it's <laughs> i got to skip a few of the ones that made me go oh this is gonna take a while thank god i got <laughs> to skip the ones with the ones who wear human suits jeez I, uh, I I went back and watched them because we had some free time, and the Slytherin episode is not it. No! I'm sure it has. And then they bring them back! Because the next episode after this, which we're not doing, but yeah. it's it's another Slovene episode. And I'm just like, uh, lots of Cardiff, though. Cardiff's going, we want, we've had yeah. enough London. Let's get into Cardiff. So, uh, yeah. small shame about, and, and Mickey, I guess, is back, supposedly, uh, that next yeah. episode, which I'm not mourning. <laughs> Jeez, to go from Barrowman to to Noel clark all right like that episode it's such a deviation because it goes from there's like two different love triangles you've got uh yeah there is jack in and the doctor and rose mickey and the doctor (sighs) rose mickey and uh mickey's girlfriend there's there's three love try it's a triangle of triangles it's well before long it's gonna be your own clone version of your set it's gonna get messy (laughs) so such is so i think I, I'm all spoken out on on this one. Is there anything you, 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 that's uh, left over that you, that you uh, that you feel like we need to address? No, I think I think I, I've handled ev- everything that I've uh, I've thought so far. I think like it's just full full praise overall. This is a masterclass of what Doctor Who should have as a level. I agree. I fully agree. Yeah. 
yeah, this this was excellent. Uh, I don't know if it was on the original list or if it brought up when I just went. So, do we have the the Are you my mummy? Because we definitely need to have that one. But definitely, yeah. I'm glad we 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 made room for it. Oh, definitely, it's yeah. it is it's fantastic, especially for uh, the episode we're going to get to next because. This week's episode was uh, was an introduction of Captain Jack Harkness, and Captain Jack Harkness is a, a hell of a character for our next episode, where we do another two-parter, because Christopher Eccleston's tenure wasn't that long, so we're going to have to say goodbye to him very, very quickly with his end of regeneration two-parter bad wolf and the parting of the ways oh we didn't mention i want to throw it across. there is yeah. something on the on this is it a german bomb or the bomb in general you have a german bomb that says uh something wolf and it is it is it's oh. german for bad wolf on the on, nice. on the bomb so there's that. there's another reference to it i mean i i didn't, I didn't see, i'm not fluent in german i did see that on like some sort of a research note but yeah so th- there there are these tidbits that we're going to have come back to us when we do bad wolf and the second half of it was called uh the parting of the ways oh it does what it says in the yeah. tin that one yeah so uh and it's interesting because you know this is big news i mean after episode one people knew eccleston was leaving which feels really weird um yeah. i guess modern tv does that now but you know i remember a time when killing so the internet wasn't a big thing so you know um when, when a character would get killed off you'd be like what it wasn't like Avengers Endgame when you knew Downey Jr. and Chris Evans's contracts were up. So it it was it was interesting because as a kid, like I didn't understand this at all. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, it's it's a new person, and we'll totally go into that like when we get to that episode. But I would say it's a, from what I remember, very dated episode. Oh, okay. We might have to we have to, might have to do like a couple cultural references for when things are set. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So uh, that's really weird. Four episodes, and we'll be done. Eccleston. Yeah. Wow. I looked at my list, and like I think each other doctor's like double that. I, I, well, I, I, was like, I have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I felt I felt so bad because I'm looking at everything. And I'm like, because Eccleston didn't have the best episodes like throughout but oh, he had that, some good episodes he had some good ones but i, I think yeah. we've done the ones that you have to do i really do yeah the important ones so i mean if people want to reach out i mean i guess you can i mean we won't be able to respond to you uh on air because we're recording these way in advance and i'm not taking time up for that i kind of like these are like their own thing but if you do want to yeah. talk I'll, I'll respond to a tweet it'll just be several weeks yeah. in, in, in the future but time, talk about time travel by the time that, that sort of i receive this but you can get a hold of me i mean i'm a you know i do the main account at best film ever pod uh ethan you want do you want to give yourself yeah mine's uh at starmont jones yeah i think by this point yeah i would have i would have uh, had my interview with um your next favorite movie and that was the first time i i, I linked my twitter in, yeah. in a thing that was so strange i did make up like an individual one and i'm like i don't know why i made up my own twitter account for this because generally if you get it for the best film of her pod account it's 95 percent of the time more than that 99 percent of the time it's gonna be from me yeah. so yeah but go ahead, get a hold of us there. Um, I hope you're enjoying the. We're three episodes in, so I hope so because yeah. we're gonna find out. But no, I hope you're enjoying it. Um, if, if you're if you're a Doctor Who fan, you got Doctor Who fan friends who maybe weren't maybe give them a shout and say, hey, my you know this pod I listen to are doing a Doctor Who sort of sub series uh, because it, it really is. It's it's great to know you have an audience, and it would be encouraging just to know that people are out there giving it a listen. And it's it's so much fun to do this because like. It weirdly, Ian and I have been friends for a long time, and we've never really talked about Doctor Who. So this is the first time we've been able to like actually like have a proper nerd talk yeah. about the 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 universe, which I, is 
really strange. As usual, I'm about a six or a seven. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, depending on what era, you're like a nine or a 10. Yeah. When we get to like, you know, uh, Capaldi and, and Whitaker, I'll be like a three, four. I, well, I'll, actually, it'll be very new for me. So I, I, yeah. I, I am going to make sure that I get ahead and that I finish the series properly before we get to those episodes. Because I don't want to be like, well, what happened in those three episodes in between? That's not fair. <laughs> So yeah. then hopefully by the time we get to, to Whitaker's finale, it'll be both of our first watch. And then we can just go ahead and kind of, I don't know, vent. I don't know if that's the right word. But we can, it could be, we could, I, we could be waiting months for all we know for that last episode. If depending on how far ahead of this oh we get. Oh God, yeah. baby. If, if not, I'm just going to do a retrospective. It'll just be like a great of, reunion show is what it'll be. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be our stolen earth. Uh, that one where everyone came back in series four. Well, the thing is, cause we're still going to go ahead and put them out every two, well, two weeks or whatever it is. So we'll yeah. definitely get the timing. So the audience won't feel like it's been months, but for us, yeah. it'll be like, it could be like we've, we've been, we've, we've been done for a while. So yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Last time we spoke was August 2022, <laughs> and now it's November. Now it's November, so yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. So uh, next episode, of course, we're doing the, the finale where we're saying goodbye to Eccleston. We're saying hello to a plastic version of Tenant in the uh, in the scene. We'll talk about that thing, whatever. Uh, I'm yeah. looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be fun. I, I haven't seen this episode in, in such a long time. I, I had to quickly look at a clip when I was doing the... Um, when I was doing the intro stuff and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. He doesn't talk correctly. Yeah. That's great. I watched it once. And all wow. these, all these I've just watched once as far as like, yeah. uh, maybe I went back and just sort of had it in the background when I was doing stuff. But for the most part, like proper watches the first time. And then that was more or less it for, uh, I think I, I think I did put it on in the background and stuff, but not like proper, proper watch like I have now. So, yeah. uh, looking forward to bad wolf. I don't really remember much about it. So, uh, beyond really i thought i really liked it i guess we'll see i remember like one or two things and that's it buying the ways was almost my thing bad wolf was a was a different wolf to handle so it'll be, it'll be fun it'll be fun to look back on it and, and see if it's changed excellent so with that we're gonna go back into our tardis and uh fly away so thank you so much for listening to our third episode of who do you think who are uh, Doctor Who retrospective with Best Film Ever. If you do like what it, we've done, please follow us on Best Film Ever Pod on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We'll see you next week for the for the finale. I've been Ethan, and I've been Ian. And one more question I just have for everyone is: Are you my mommy? Uh, Allons-y. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a, a wide range of people, at least not in North America. It's just beautiful 20-somethings where I'm from. In the UK, it was like Dave down the pub who thinks that dogs are aliens and like some weirdly attractive 20-year-old woman. I See, I thought I remembered seeing his butt. And if you want to get, uh, want to be a part of BFE Quiz Night 4, we can promise you no death rays. We can promise you no transmat beams. We can just promise a moderate amount of fun. A moment of silence for those who did fall during our third quiz night, though they will be remembered. <laughs> <laughs>